Well, this morning we're going to continue on in the book of Nehemiah. And so if you have your Bible with you this morning, uh, we're going to be, we'll make it, we're on our third week of Nehemiah. We'll make it out of chapter two this week. Uh, and so, uh, I am, I'm excited about it because really, um, I really think God is leading us in a great direction. I think God's leading us, uh, in a really good direction. Uh, you just see things that God's lining up and doing. It's stuff that we don't always talk about right up on the forefront. But we had a, we had a great meeting yesterday. Um, our board and staff came together along with key ministry leaders. We talked a little bit about um, what we love about our church. We talked about what we dream about for our church. And then we talked about how God leads us and moves us. And we go through, it was a great meeting yesterday. We, we had a, we had a good time. We had, a, I, I mean, I, I realized I was leading the meeting, so I don't want to pat myself too hard on the back, but we had a lot of good feedback afterwards. It was a, it was a, when, when you have a two and a half hour meeting, which is what we had on a Saturday morning and people leave out of it feeling like uh, it was a, a wonderful use of time. I think, I think God's really leading us someplace. And uh, I, I, I had fun with it. We had him do a little uh, challenge. We found out who's good at building, who's not good at building. It was it was really fun. Pastor Joe's team won the competition. I had them build a tower out of spaghetti and uh, string and tape, and they had to get to see who get the tallest tower that would hold up a marshmallow. And um, Pastor Joe's team won at twenty seven inches tall, and so that was. That, it doesn't sound that high, but it's pretty good. 27 inches. You try it at home sometime. 20 sticks. How many, those that were here yesterday say 27 inches is pretty impressive because let's see, we had what, five teams? We had four or five teams and only two standing towers. And so, yeah, it was hard. It's, and so congratulations to Pastor Joe's team. Yeah, we'll call it the Joe Schroffer Award. Oh, wait, wait, there's already a Joe Schroffer Award. I'm sorry. I love picking on Pastor Joe. It's fun. I love Pastor Joe. So this morning, we're going to be at, who said he needs it? So I heard somebody, he needs it. We're going to be in uh, Nehemiah chapter 2 this morning. If you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, that's okay. Uh, we've gone through Nehemiah chapter 1, and we went through the first part of chapter 2 last week. Uh, last The first week we talked about in Nehemiah chapter 1, uh, we talked about what do you do when the walls are down? Because that's really what Nehemiah was facing. And Nehemiah came before God and he prayed, and he prayed four very specific things. The first thing that he prayed, when he came before God, is he he uh, he interceded for the other people. He interceded for the people of Israel, and then he repented for his sins and the sins of Israel. Then he remembered God's promises, and then he asked for God's blessing. And the the way we concluded that message the first week is just a continual reminder. And this is something that we need to always remember: is that God wants to do a work in us before He does a work through us. God wants to do a work in us before he does a work through us. And then last week, we asked, a, uh, we asked another question, and uh, go ahead and throw that up there. The second question that we asked is, what do you do when you need a breakthrough? What do you do when you need a breakthrough? And we talked through uh, Nehemiah chapter 2. You can find that on Facebook. Um, but we understand that uh, Nehemiah needed a Breakthrough. Go ahead and throw that next slide up there so we can see it's, see, the, we understood this for Nehemiah. The, the grace, the success came from God's gracious hand. Nehemiah had a big ask in front of that king and he was successful in his ask because God was in it. And this is the thing we have to continue to remember that the breakthrough you need in life is in God. Whatever you're facing, it's in God. God. And this week, 
uh, we're asking another question because Nehemiah moves into a, a new season, a new time here in this, uh, in this verses we're looking at, which is going to be verses uh, chapter 2, verse 7 through 20 is where we're going to be. Uh, here's the question that we have today. What do you do when it's time to move? What do you do when it's time to move? How many of you have ever taken a, a trip, long trip, road trip? Maybe you remember this, maybe you don't. How many of you remember trip tickets, trip ticks from AAA? Um, yeah, see, now now if you need something, you just whip out your phone, right? You got a smartphone, it gets there. But uh, back in the day, and I, I hate saying it when I say back in the day, because it feels like it's forever ago. But like, I'm talking like 1993, which is not really that long ago. How many of you go, 1993? That's not that long ago, right? That doesn't fit, it's like 24 years ago, right? What, what'd you just say? You are born in 92. As a sophomore in high school. No, I was a junior in high school. Yeah. Well, the summer of 1993 was my first experience with a trip ticket. My, uh, my buddy, Joe Story, who I've talked about several times, uh, me and Joe were driving from Dayton, Ohio, to Quincy, Illinois, uh, to visit a children's pastor that we both used to volunteer with, a guy named Scott Stark, and Scott lives in Florida now. These are real people. I'm not just making stories up. And so uh, Joe and I, I'm not sure what my parents were thinking, because um, they let us drive like a 350 miles with, uh, you know, I was, I would have been 16 or 17. Joe was 17, 18. He's just a little older than me. Um, and, you know, we weren't necessarily the most responsible people. I mean, this, I am the kid that hitchhiked because of a problem me and Joe had when I was 14. Uh, and so that's a whole other story. I don't know if I've told that one yet. But here's the thing. Um, they let us do this. It was crazy. And so his parents, or his grandpa, was a member of AAA. And so he got us a trip ticket. It's the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Because it goes through. The trip ticket, it, laid, it was page by page. You flip this thing, and you lay it out. I mean, you were, and it'd show you, this is where construction's at. This is where this is at. This. They, they have certain parts highlighted to avoid these things. It was, it was really, it, it's so amazing. Now all of it's on your phone. All of it's on your phone. But back in the day, if you had to go on a trip... What did you have to do? You had to have a plan. You had to know what you were doing. Now, if I'm taking a drive someplace, I even do it going home because the, the GPS on my phone now will tell me when there's bad traffic. Man, imagine, if, imagine how, many, how many drives that would have saved you, uh, grow, you know, growing up, not knowing, because I mean, there's always some spot that you're going to hit traffic, right? But now my GPS on my phone will route me around traffic. Trip tickets weren't that good. They weren't that quite, that quite that good. But they'd tell you where construction was. They'd tell, you re, but you really had to plan your trip, didn't you? Had to plan your bathroom breaks. You had to plan your, your food stop. I, that's one of the things I disliked the most about driving from Ohio to Tennessee to visit my grandparents is that every time we'd come over Jellicoe Mountain, my parents insisted at stopping at that Cracker Barrel. They want to stay there. Now, it's nothing against Cracker Barrel. I got nothing. Well, I got a little something against Cracker Barrel. They're slower in Christmas. Okay, Cracker Barrel slower than Christmas. But we'd stop there, and it was like an hour stop every single time. So, But my parents let me and Joe drive to Quincy, Illinois. And do you know what is across the southern part of Illinois? Nothing. Not a thing. It is the most boring drive you'll ever take. And here was the problem uh, that Joe and I, uh, we ran into, that we didn't have planned out on the trip ticket. Um, we almost ran out of gas, like, like one of those things of like, Joe, how well can you push my car? Uh, because 
we were, and, and here was the thing, we got to this weird interchange in southern Illinois, and there was, it, it's not quite, it's, it's not quite like the jug handles around here, but it is one of those things where I could see four gas stations from the highway, and I, for the life of me, could not figure out how to get to any of them. I ended up getting on and off the highway three times, because it was just so weird. I could not figure it out for the life of me. Now, the good news is we did not get a, uh, we did not run out of gas. Joe did not have to push my car, uh, which is always encouraging. We got, we got our gas. We, we made it to Quincy, Illinois. It's an exciting, we made it back with no issues. Um, it was the first time I'd ever taken that car over 100 miles an hour. This is why you don't let your teenagers do long distance drives on their own. But a 1991 Chevy Corsica will do 110 miles an hour, in case you're curious. Yeah, and that's right. So I'm a much safer driver now. I'm a much, much safer driver now. But I had to have a real plan on that trip. I had to have a real plan on that trip. And when it's time for us to move, what do we need to do? We need to start with a plan. We need to start with a plan. And that's where we're at uh, with... Um, that's where we're at in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 7 to 20. So if we look at it, here's, uh, here's where it starts. Now, if you remember verse 6, I'll read it to you just real quick. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked, How long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Now, in your Bible, it just goes straight on to verse 7, right? It says, I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will keep me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And then verse 8, where he's asking, may I have letters uh, to Asaph, keeper of the park, uh, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me my timber to make my beams for the gates and the citadel by the temple and for the city walls I will occupy. And because of the gracious hands uh, of God was on me, the king granted my request. And then, boom, there's a pause. Verse 9, where he says, So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. There's actually a lot of discrepancy uh, in scholars' opinions of how long it went between the end of verse 8 and the beginning of verse 9. There are some that think it was actually five years. Now remember, between chapter 1 and chapter 4, or chapter 2, there was four months between the good report, the bad report they heard of Jerusalem and then him going to the king. And now it's possible that it was five years. Now, I think it was probably not quite that long because he was really burning with the desire to go get this worked on, right? And so depending upon what commentary you read, I saw some that said it was just a few months. I saw some that said it was five years. But I want you to understand, this wasn't one of those things where it was, I got the letters and then the next morning I hopped on a horse and went out. He had some planning to do. He had some preparation to do. He had to prepare... For the task. He had to prepare for the task. And that's actually what he was doing in verses 7 and 8. Is He was asking for the provision for the task at hand. He said, I'm going to need... Why did he need to go to the royal forest? Because he's going to need wood. He's going to need wood for the, for the gates. He's going to need lumber for the task at hand. He needed, he needed timber to make the beams of the citadel by the temple. And for the city walls of the residence, he will occupy. And so he was preparing for the task. And this is the thing that we have to remember. When it's time to move, the first thing that we have to do, we have to get ready. We have to prepare ourselves to get ready. Too many people, we just want to go off and like, all right, let's get to work. And before you know it, you're, you're halfway where you want to go, and uh, you don't have enough gas in your car 
to make it. The first thing that Nehemiah did, he knew what he was doing, knew where he was going, knew what God had called him to do. But what did he still take time to do? He took time to get ready. He prepared himself for the task. God puts visions inside of all of us. He puts dreams and hopes inside of all of us. Sometimes people go off before God's ready for them to go off. And they get themselves out there and they go, God, why'd you fail me? And God goes, well, why didn't you get ready? It's like a, a man, I remember the story, it's standing in front of his closet one time and he said, God, what should I wear? God, what should I wear? What should I wear? What should I wear? And here's a voice from heaven. The voice from heaven says, I'm your father, not your mother. Now get dressed. <laughs> we have to prepare ourselves for the task. That's what Nehemiah was doing. And here's the great thing, uh, if we understand. If we take time to prepare ourselves for the task, God's provision will supply all the needs that we have. God's provision. If we don't get ahead of ourselves, God's provisions will take care of all that we have. We see in verse 9, he says, So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had sent, also sent, an army officer, uh, sent army officers and cavalry with me. He had taken time to prepare, and Nehemiah was ready. He came with an army. Wow. When Simbalat the Hornite and Tobiah the Amorite her official herds about this, they were very disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Part of the reason he had to prepare for the task is that he knew that not everyone was going to be really thrilled with what God was doing. He knew that not everyone was going to be in favor of what God was doing. How many of you have gone to somebody and say, I've got a great idea, and they just poke holes in your idea. This is a bad idea. This, this, it's not going to work here. It's not going to work. And you're going to go, oh, maybe I don't have a great idea. Why? Because you weren't ready for the arguments. You weren't prepared for the arguments, which actually leads us to the second thing that Nehemiah did in this chapter. The second thing that Nehemiah did, he protected the vision. He knew what God had called him to do, didn't he? He knew he was called to uh, fix the walls and the gates around Jerusalem. But when you read verse 11 here, here's what it says. It says, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there for three days, I set out during the night with uh, a few others. I had not told anyone, I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding. By night, I went, I went around the valley, through the valley gate, towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not, not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up to the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet, I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or anyone who would be doing the work. If you see in verse 12, do you know what Nehemiah was doing? He was protecting the vision. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do 
for Jerusalem. So here's what he did. He rolled through this around the city at night. Why? So other people wouldn't see what he was doing. It wasn't because he didn't have trust in what God had put in him. No. It's because he knew that other people wouldn't encourage this work. They wouldn't support what God had put in him. And so he protected the vision. But let's back up even to verse 11. It says, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days. Now, from Nehemiah chapter 1 to chapter 2, four months. Somewhere between verses 8 and 9 in Nehemiah chapter 2, it was anywhere from a few months to five years. They had to have time to put the army together. They had time to get the letters together to go to the governors. So it took some time. And then he gets to the city of where he wanted to go. And what does he do? He waits three days. Why did he wait? Why did he wait? As he was still protecting the vision and making sure he was prepared for the task. How do we protect the vision that God's given us? How do we protect the vision that God's given us? Well, I think there's a few things that we can see that Nehemiah did. The first thing that we need to do, don't rush. Don't rush the vision. Trust God in his timing. Don't rush it. When we rush it, what do we do? We mess it up. We get ahead of ourselves. All of a sudden, we're telling God, this is what we're going to do. Bless it. Don't rush the vision. The other thing that Nehemiah did, because we understand that Nehemiah was a man of prayer. Nehemiah, make sure God's in it. Make sure God is in it. Even before he asked the king, even though he knew that God had put this in him, what did he do? He, he said that even before I asked, what did he do? He paused to pray. Those three days that he was waiting, do you think he was just sitting there doing nothing? I believe Nehemiah was praying. God, make this about you and not about me. That's my prayer as your pastor. Make this about you, God. Don't make this about me. And then the other thing that Nehemiah was doing in that time and this is why he was looking at all the gates and riding around them at night, is he was counting the cost. Counting the cost. Luke chapter 14, verse 28, I'll read it to you. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want. Verse, chapter 14 in Luke, verse 28, it says, so, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first da sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Sometimes we get so far ahead of ourselves, we don't consider the cost, not just in materials. The cost personally. The cost emotionally. Physically. Spiritually. Every decision costs us something. Those of you that own your own business, you understand this, don't you? I asked a, a gentleman that had bought a business, I asked him after he owned it for 25 years. I said, are you happy that you bought the business? 
He said, no, I don't really think I am. If I had to go back, I probably wouldn't. It cost him more than he thought it would. It wasn't just money, but it was time, energy, all of these things. Nehemiah assessed where the city was at. Rode around it at night. Spent time in prayer. He knew what God had called him to do. But he had to really understand what was it going to cost to get this done. And then we see how he moved forward. Chapter, verse 17 in chapter 2. says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. See, the first thing that he did after he protected the vision, what did he do? He goes to the right people, and he shared the need. He shared the need. Now, many of them probably knew that the gates were down, right? Because they lived in the city. But he shared the need. And then here's the second thing he did. The first thing he did was shared what was needed. The second thing he did, come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. The second thing he did was share the vision. The first thing, share the need. He shared what needed to be done. The second thing, he shared the vision with those that were going to do the work. We've sometimes we put so much in vision, we miss the need. And the need is really the why. The why this needs to be done. Why is this important? Why does this matter? Why do we want to call people from our church over the summer? Because we want them to know we love them and care about them and we miss them. Why do we want to focus on young families? Because the same way we did things with Callie Rose here, we don't want to lose a generation, do we? Why are things important? Because they matter to God. Why do we want to be a part of our community? Because we want to have an opportunity to share the love of God with those that have not yet come to know him. Why? This is the why. And then you share the vision. Then you share the vision. And then the third thing that he did here in verse 18. I also told them about the gracious hand of God on me and what the king had said to me. So he shared the need, then he shared the vision, and then he shared the source that was going to take care of everything. The vision was given, but it came from God. The vision was given, but it came from God. That's what he was telling people. And I love their response in verse 18. They replied, let us start building. So they began this good work. But when Sambalot the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Jeshem, hey, I'm no good on biblical names, I'm sorry. I'm a pastor that will acknowledge that. The Arab heard about it. They mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? Now that question is really interesting. Because I told you this wasn't the first time that they had tried to build the wall of Jerusalem. This was actually the third time they had tried to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And that question right there, are you rebelling against the king? The second time they tried to rebuild the wall, that was the accusation that was made against them. You're rebelling against the king. And they took that to Artaxerxes, and he stopped the work. That's why they didn't build it a second time. And so people were reminding them of history. 
This has been tried before. Look what you're doing. You're trying to overthrow the king. And they were trying to get the king on their side. But they didn't go to the king, did they? They went to the person that was sent by the king. Because Nehemiah had approached it in prayer. He had approached it in biblical authority, in God's authority. And he had gotten God. God had had put the king on his side. So the people couldn't stop him. But what they do, they reminded him of history. You know, oftentimes as we move forward as a church, as we're given a vision for a church, people love to remind us of history, both negative and positive. We want to celebrate what God has done. We want to remember what God has done through us as a church. We want to celebrate, but we want to build on history, not be anchored by it. History can be a wonderful foundation for us to grow on. Or it can be a millstone that we tie around our neck to hold us in place. And that's what they were trying to do here to Nehemiah. You're trying to rebel against the king. This has been done before. Really, in the process, there's two kinds of people that we come across with. There's two kinds of people we come and come and kind of encounter come in contact with as we're trying to build. We come with those that are ready to build. We come across those that are ready to mock. Now I want you to understand about two of the officials that came before him. Sambalot and Tobiah, they claim to serve God. Now the uh, Geshem the Arab, no, he didn't claim to serve the Lord our God. But the first two, they claimed to serve the Lord of Israel. They were officials in the city. But they were not in favor of what God had led Nehemiah to do. You know, sometimes those that mock what's going on or ridicule it, they're not from outside. They're from inside. And here's what Nehemiah said to him. I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you will have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historical right to it. You know, Sambalot and Tobiah, part of the reasons that they mocked what God had called Nehemiah to do is because it was going to change their position. It made them uncomfortable. Officials weren't in favor of somebody doing something that would benefit the Jews because it changed their position. It was a lot to do with they wanted to remain in their personal power. They wanted to remain in their space. And a lot of times, our personal preference will derail what God is trying to do because we have in our mind the way something should be. And we don't necessarily pursue what God wants. We look at it as, this is how church should be. This is how things should happen. I had, a, I had an employee work for me. She was a wonderful, wonderful employee. But the number of times that we would have conversations where she would finish it with, well, it just shouldn't be that way. She had in her mind a very rigid set 
of thoughts of what life should look like. It wasn't necessarily stuff that had been prayed about. It wasn't necessarily stuff that had been thought through. But here's the thing we see. Nehemiah had a clear vision from God. And he was faced with two different groups of people, wasn't he? Those that said, let's build, and those that mocked him and tried to stop him. And Nehemiah gave them such a clear response. These, those that tried to stop him, they were more concerned about their personal well-being and not what God was doing. It can happen every day. Because when God is doing something new, it's going to move us out of our comfort zone. And none of us like to move out of our comfort zone. None, I mean, let's, let's be honest, folks. I asked you, how many of you are sitting in your same seat earlier? And yeah, yeah, we left. Because we're all sitting in our same seat. You have it conformed to your tush. And that's where you want to stay. I, I jokingly, I said, it, I said it this week, I said jokingly, I, I, uh, I, think, I think I said it yesterday. I said jokingly, joke, I, I just want to preface it, I was joking, I'm not going to actually do this because I don't want you people to uh, think I'm crazy. But I jokingly said, one of these Sundays I'm going to come in and ask this section to move over here. And this section to move over here. And uh, we would have people leave. We would have people leave if I said, I need you to not sit in your seat. The fact that we even refer to it as your seat. <laughs> but you say, well, that's not, that a, that's not a big deal. Let me tell you something. I shared this yesterday. I know of guests that have come and visited us that were asked to move because they sat in someone's seat since I've been here. Now listen, we're not that kind of church, are we? Well, maybe we are, though, because it happened. So here's the thing we have to understand. We're going to come across people that they want to build and other people that want to mock. They want to keep us in the exact same spot we are. But here's the thing. If we're going to move forward, we have to recognize this. The vision came from God, but the opposition came from man. And those that mocked what God was doing, they lost their portion. They lost their claim. They lost their share of the vision. Imagine if those officials had come and said, let us help you in what God is doing. They would not be remembered in the word of God as mockers and scoffers. They would be remembered as those that helped to accomplish the miracle of what God was doing. But they weren't open to it. They weren't open to it. And this is the whole thing I want us to remember this morning. We're talking about how we're moving forward as a church. The vision that God has put in us, God's shaping in us. The question I have is, when we are presented with something new, do we go with our natural response or do we pause and we pray for God to reveal to us how we will move forward with his vision? Vision. 